0: Man, this is an intimate crowd this morning. This is awesome. It's good. It's good. Well, we're talking about Jesus. We're moving right along. It, it's kind of interesting that, as we sit here and say, this is the last week of Jesus' life. you probably have the most material. That they've, they, they've written more about what's happened during this week than they have any other time of his three years, three to four years here on earth earthly ministry, that is. And part of that is because uh, you have a tendency to remember more when the adrenaline is flowing. You know? get yeah, that at awesome. uh, When your adrenaline flows, you you remember more. You can think about, if, if Keith asked that question, what's the most craziest thing, or I forget what word you use, but... Uh, that you can remember in your life. And typically the, the responses came up had to do with people and experiences where they adrenaline just flow. So I'm sure that that's what's happening here with these disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially as they're writing these stories down. And today you're going to see very much that they're synoptic. Although John doesn't come into play in these stories, Matthew, Mark, <clears throat> and Luke, all three do. So, We're going to pick up in Luke chapter 18, verse 15, and it coincides with Matthew 19, verse 13, and Mark chapter 10, verse 13, but we're going to look at the specific story, the first part of it at least, in Luke 18. Chaos is going on around Jesus. Pharisees are questioning him. He's calling them out. He's still teaching them parables. Just, it goes on and on and on. And it says, people were bringing infants to Him so He might touch them. In today's society, that sounds a little creepish. <laughs> let's bring the babies to Jesus so He can touch them. Well, it's, but let's just say it's in relation to more of a blessing. Pretty much what happens here when a child is born here not going at Pinheads, but in the Leavener community, uh, they bring them here to Pinheads, and I go pick them up, walk around with them, pray over them, hand them back to the parents. And it's kind of the same way. Just to say a blessing over these children, the parents wanted Jesus to touch their child. Just just touch him, say a little blessing. And so people were swarming him to bring their babies and their children to Jesus. Uh, it says, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. They rebuked not the children, they rebuked the parents for bringing them. No, Jesus is too busy. Jesus has got too much going on in His play for you to have Jesus touch your child. Sounds kind of ridiculous, but that's just the... These guys, you have to understand this about the disciples, because you're going to see it a lot today, especially with Peter. Uh, they're young. They're just young, and they're naive, and they're teenagers. They're young men. They're not real experienced. Yeah. They're still learning. You realize that as they as they train to be Pharisees, they really don't go out into public ministry until they're like 30 years old. I always refer to a, a book that Keith bought one time, and in that book, the author said, don't ever think about writing a book until you're 40 years old. Because you don't have enough experience to really... And, and, and so now you've got like these 15-year-old, uh, maybe 30-year-olds that are hanging out with Jesus and they're totally naive parents are bringing the kids to Jesus and the disciples are saying, no, you can't do this. Jesus has got too much going on. Jesus, however, invited them and said, let the little children come to me and don't stop them because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, we don't have any Fisher's police here today, but they give me a hard time about my candy bucket. They go, that's a little creepy, you know, that you're offering candy to kids. <laughs> well, it's something that I've always done. Uh, I think ever since I was a youth minister back at Northside Baptist Church, I always had bubble gum in my suit coat pocket. I used to wear a suit on Sunday mornings. Yeah, that was yeah, really creepy. Uh, but I've always just passed out candy to kids, but it allows me to see them. Like they come running up afterwards, hey, Rusty's got candy, and I get to see the kids that are here and honestly that's what jesus was saying he's like i i want to hang out with them i want to see them i do want to touch them and uh mark and ann are here big john Jeannie, and uh, the lukies are here and they were all sunday school teachers i'm sure there's more in here in this room but they were all sunday school teachers uh for me in the youth department uh for many years and one of the things that i would say to them is when you come on Sunday morning, you make sure that you touch the kids, touch the kids, touch the kids, touch the kids. Well, you're sick. <laughs> oh, sorry, I get you. uh, Because I believe, I believe that they could literally go the whole week and never be touched. Not touched by a parent, not touched by a teacher, not touched by a friend. And I would say to my workers, make sure that you work the room, that you go lay a hand on their shoulder, that you touch them, that you punch them. Do something. Just touch these kids because it means a big deal to them. It means a big deal to them. You got, And the adults are the same way. It means a big deal just to be touched. And Jesus realized this is like, let the kids come to me. I want to hang out with them. I want to touch them because they probably do know that I am the Messiah. And it's important to them. He says, truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, I get this question all the time as a, as a pastor. What is the age of accountability? what is the age of accountability you know what that means like at what point in a person's life do they become responsible for their sin do they acknowledge that they have sin that they've done wrong and that they are separated from god what age is that <laughs> 26 on the front row they say uh a lot, of, a lot of churches will say uh, 11 years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. Bar Mitzvah for the Jews is at, I believe, 13, 12 or 13 years old. That's kind of the age of accountability. But <clears throat> I've had, I believe, Michelle, how old was Corey when he prayed to receive Jesus? Five, which is like an incredibly young age. Like, how much does the kid know at five years old? But I believe with all my heart that he loved Jesus. And I'm not going to sit there and say to my son, no, son, you can't ask Jesus into your heart at five years old. How ridiculous is that? You know, and, and so I've always had this, like, why wouldn't you let the kids come to Jesus? I don't know what their understanding is. They may not even know what their understanding is. I can tell the difference between a kid that's just wanting to jump in the pool and get dunked versus a kid that's like, hey, this Jesus thing is what I want. You, know, you, you have to be a little bit dis, discerning there, but why would we ever stop them from wanting to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Jesus said, let them come to me. Let them hang out. You know, they may do this at 5 years old. At 12 years old, they come to know me in a different way. At, 18, at 26, they come to know me in a different way. At 50, they come to know me in a different way. It's okay. It's okay. That's all part of the journey. The thing is that he, he's saying right here is, you know, th- these kids right here, if no one comes like these kids, the, the Romans had this hierarchy of people and their status. You know, the, uh, the wealthy people were at the top and the children were at the bottom. And Jesus is saying, if, if you can't come here like these children... The lowest status, the humblest of all with a childlike faith. You're missing out. You're missing out. These children are important to Jesus. Now, I'll say this, too, because I typically say this uh, when we talk about age of accountability. We always say that you're born with a sinful nature, that you're born separated from God. You're born spiritually dead. Everybody in this room was born spiritually dead. Getting ready to have a new baby over here. Going to be born spiritually dead. Graham, their other child, spiritually dead. But they're teaching him about God. They're teaching him about Jesus. And at some point, he comes to understand Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Messiah. But what about that? Point up to that. What happens to these kids? If they're born spiritually dead yet they haven't had a chance to really understand who Jesus is and believe in Jesus, what happens to these kids. That passage right there tells me that Jesus cares about the kids. Jesus cares about the babies. He's going to take care of the babies. I have all the confidence in the world that God my Father will take care of these babies. Even before whatever that age of accountability is. Even before they come to the understanding of who Jesus is as Lord and Savior, he's going to take care of those children, those babies. Jesus loves the little children. Then uh, we look at verse 18 and he changes stories and he goes into the story of a ruler. You know this story as the rich young ruler. In verse 18 it says a ruler asked him, actually in Mark, Mark says that this young man ran to Jesus and that he knelt before him. that's pretty cool here here's what's described in Matthew Mark and Luke a rich young ruler runs to Jesus and kneels before him it doesn't say that he's a Pharisee it doesn't say that he's part of the Sanhedrin but we believe that that's possible because he was identified as a ruler someone who studied the law, and knew the law, and lived out the law. But he was obviously young. If he's young, then he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to live out the law, and he's also probably immature in what he understands, right? You with me? You tracking with me? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, runs to Jesus, and kneels before him, and it says this, asked him good teacher what must i do to inherit eternal life what what is it that i can do to guarantee my salvation in other words i don't think that you're the messiah i'm going to call you a good teacher but I'm not going to call you the Messiah. So I'm asking you, what is it that I have to do to get salvation? Because he's taught all along as a rich young ruler by the Pharisees, the way that you guarantee your salvation is through your wealth and possessions. If you get a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions, you can pretty much guarantee that you're going to be in heaven and you're going to be there in a great place. And so now he's asking this good teacher, what is it that I have to do to guarantee my salvation? And Jesus replies to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. The fact that he called him a good teacher and not the Messiah caused Jesus to question him the rabbis the rabbis the Pharisees the rabbis were considered master teachers but they themselves weren't even considered good because only God was considered good and so you sat there and just combined good teacher together you're going to associate me with God But you're not going to say that I'm the Messiah. You're just going to say that I'm the teacher. It's pretty interesting if you just sit there and process the interaction between Jesus and this rich young ruler. Was this man implying that Jesus was God? Jesus is really asking him, did you just really say that? Did you just call me a good person? Because nobody else calls anybody else good. They only call God good. And then verse 20. This is, you have to love Jesus because if you don't see this, and most people will read through this and you'll never ever see this, uh, but if you see this, you have to go, Man, the guy was just amazing the way that he dealt with people. He says, "You know, you know the commandments. You know the commandments, right? Everybody here knows the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody here knows the Ten Commandments. <laughs> look at the, look at their faces. Anybody want to go for the Ten Commandments? Anybody? Do I have one person that can do all Ten Commandments? Nobody in the room? Or are you just being shy?" Anybody? Nobody? Disappointed. The first four are in relation to God and man. The first four Ten Commandments are in relation to God and man. What's the very first one? No other gods before me. The second one is very similar to that. You shall have no graven images, idols. The third one is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And the fourth one that has to do between God and man is what? What? Remember the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath holy. First four commandments. First four of the ten commandments has to do with your relationship between God and man. When they ask him later on, they ask him, what's the most important commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the very first four commandments all combined into one. You know, the Ten Commandments basically said, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And Jesus said, do this, love the Lord your God. He changed the negative to a positive. Then the next six Ten Commandments. Look, I'm giving you five right there. Five are on the screen. Five are on the screen. Do not commit. They're not in order. Do not commit adultery. We talked about that last week. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Those are kind of just backwards in order. All right? So now these commandments have to do with us as we deal with man to man. You had your relationship between God and man. Now you've got man to man. And you've got five. That is four dealing with God and man, and five dealing with man to man. How many is that? Nine. So Jesus just listed off the five commandments between man and man, and he left one out. Anybody have a clue what that last one might have been? Do not covet your neighbor's possessions. <laughs> This is awesome. The rich, young ruler says, what do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, here's five commandments, but I'm not going to say the last one. And here's why he doesn't say the last one. Watch this. The man's response is, I've kept all these from my youth. Like, He's young, right? <laughs> he hasn't done it for very long. If he's labeled as young and he's like, I've kept all these from my youth ever since his bar mitzvah. What was Jesus's look on his face when he said, I've kept all these? <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure, you have. Sure, you have. You, I'm sure you haven't lied. Sure. Jesus didn't say that. I don't know if he smirked. I don't know if he smiled. But then there's that last commandment, and Jesus says this. He says, when Jesus heard this, he told him, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Like, I want you to go away. You've done You've done great, you know, on those five, but just go sell everything that you've got, which is in total contrast to what he's grown up learning from the Pharisees. Gain wealth, gain possessions. You'll have your position in heaven, and it will be great. You know, Jesus really wasn't asking him to go, sell everything that he had he was just asking him I want you to change your way that you're thinking I, I want you to change your theology I want you to change how you think about me he really wasn't asking go sell everything maybe he was Uh, But let's keep this in the context of what we're reading. If this man believes everything is his salvation is based upon keeping his possessions and keeping his wealth. Jesus is literally saying to him. "Mm, No. Because all this is causing you to do is covet what your neighbor has. It's causing you to break that last commandment. Now. Now. I know it's you're you're saying if you take this if you take this passage of scripture and you're sitting there from a gentile perspective not a jewish perspective let's let's back this out and, and make this relevant for us you can make this a very legalistic verse for you right here that jesus is telling us as believers that we're supposed to go sell everything and Uh, We're not supposed to have wealth and we're just supposed to follow after him and he'll take care of our every need. Again, I don't think Jesus is saying that in the context. Let's be honest with it. Nobody is saved by giving all their wealth to the poor. That's not what saves a person. This young man was possessed by the love of money and he would not let it go now you've heard me say this over and over and over again but just let me remind you what jesus is saying to this young man because this is important if you go all the way back to genesis when god's in the garden with adam and eve he gave them one choice one choice which was what? Yeah. You, you're going to say to eat from the tree of life or to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But it's really one choice. You either obey me or you don't obey me. And then, how'd they do with that? Not so well. Then in Exodus, he comes along and he gives Moses the Ten Commandments. He says, here, I want you to live by these Ten Commandments. How'd they do with that? Not so well. Then he comes along in Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and he gives them 613 Levitical laws to live by. Here's all the things that you do in every situation. I want you to live by these laws, and how'd they do with that? Not so well. Now here comes the hard one for you jesus comes along in matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 and he delivers the sermon on the mount in red letters and he says you've heard it said go one mile but i say this go how many two miles you've heard it said give him the shirt off your back i say give him the shirt off your back and your cloak If a person slaps you in the face, what do you do? Turn the other cheek. Everything that the Pharisees believe and were teaching, Jesus says, Watch, I'm going to ramp this up. I'm going to double it. Whatever you guys say, the law wise, I'm ramping this thing up. You went from one choice, Ten Commandments, 613 laws, to the Sermon on the Mount. And now this rich young ruler has come up to him and says, What do I have to do to get salvation? He goes, everything everything I want everything how how high can Jesus set the limit to say you're not going to do this on your own rich young ruler we've already proven one, ten, six, thirteen, 10 sermon on the mount now everything you cannot do this in your own strength this is right the week before jesus goes to the cross and says i'll do this for you i will die my blood will be poured out your sins will be forgiven I'll be buried, I'll raise again, I'll go to heaven and sit by the Heavenly Father, and I'm going to send a helpmate, a helper, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit, to come take residence inside of you, and He will do everything for you if you let Him. And you will do it perfectly if you let Him. I wish I could let Him all the time, but sometimes my flesh gets in the way, and I blow it. And it's probably going to be that way until I die. But he's given us a way out. And that's all he is saying to this rich young ruler. And and watch what happens to the rich young ruler. It says, after he heard this, he became extremely sad. Because he was very rich. (laughs) What? I have to give everything away? Are you kidding me? Uh, Think about this. The rich young ruler may be the only man in the Gospels who came and knelt at the feet of Jesus and went away in a worse condition than when he came. That's crazy. He ran to him, knelt, called him good teacher but left in a worse condition. And yet he, he had so much in his favor. He, was, he loved God. He was being obedient. He was doing all these things. He probably could have qualified to be a great church member, yet he wasn't willing to give it all to Jesus. Jesus. So we end that story, and we're going to jump to Matthew 19. Matthew 19 is talking about the possessions, still talking about wealth, still talking about possessions. Verse 23, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what you have to understand is he's pulled his disciples aside, and now he's teaching them he's discipling them and he's like it's going to be hard for a rich person to to get into heaven they were raised under pharisaic judaism in other words they were taught that it was wealth and possessions and everything else that gets you to heaven they taught that wealth was necessary for salvation and i know what you're sitting there thinking well you can't be wealthy to get to heaven it's hard to get there. Well, let's don't, let's, let's don't count on everybody because we have plenty of Old Testament people. we got Abraham, we got David, we've got Solomon, everybody that was wealthy. Those, those people are definitely in heaven. So it's not, it's not that Jesus was saying you can't get to heaven. It's just difficult if that's what you're counting on is your wealth and your possessions. He says in verse 24, Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were utterly astonished and asked, then who can be saved? (laughs) That right there tells tells you that they all thought it was based upon wealth and possessions. Well, how do you get saved then if it's not based upon wealth and possessions? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Even a camel going through an eye of a needle is possible. Then Peter responded to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? (laughs) Peter, this is that young teenage boy. What do we get out of this? If we've left everything, what do we get? Peter, your friend, the Messiah, the Savior, is about to die, and you're concerned about what you're getting out of this? Really? Really? that that is peter in a nutshell right there why in the world the week that your messiah is about to die you're going to ask that question right there and jesus said to them truly i tell you in the renewal of all things now he's going back to the end times probably talking about the millennial reign of of jesus here on earth when the son of man sits on his glorious throne You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Never associates each disciple with a specific tribe, but he's promised them, hey, look, you guys are going to be sitting over the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm sure that they were sitting there going, which one do I want? Immediately they started thinking about that. And everyone who has left Houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first, talking about the Pharisees, will be last, and the last, talking about the children, will be first. That he, He's just sitting there saying you have no idea what's in store for you. Hey, beloved, blessed, saved, forgiven people, children of God, we have no idea what's in store for us, what we will inherit on that great day. We have no idea. No idea. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. We have no idea. But it sounds like there's going to be a line for it. And guess who's going to be in first? Those little kids that go back there and swarm the donuts. They're going to be first. They get first picks. They get it all. But wait, yeah, I know. You're thinking, is there an age in heaven? I don't know how that thing all works. I just threw it for a whole loop right there. And then we close out with this passage here in chapter 20. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Let me just read this to you. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. He went out about nine in the morning He saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Nine o'clock, noon, three o'clock. Hired workers go out into the vineyard labor labor He says then about five he went out and find he went out and found others standing around and said to them why have you been standing here all day doing nothing they replied because no one hired us he said to them you also go into my vineyard he told them at five o'clock he went out and got the last round of workers what time does it get dark? Maybe six thirty, seven. 7. Wait, you got workers at 9 in the morning, noon, 3, 5, and they're quitting around 6.30? He says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay starting with the last and ending with the first. Those that came at five o'clock pay them first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, the ones that came at nine o'clock, they assumed that they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. Wait, what? We worked how many hours like nine hours they worked an hour and a half and we're getting paid the same when they received it they began to complain to the landowner these last men put in one hour and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat he replied to the, to one of them friend i'm doing you no wrong Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. And you hear the statement said all the time. That's not fair. All the time. Let me ask you a question. Do you really want fair? (laughs) Do you want what's fair to you? Absolutely you don't. If you wanted what was fair, you wouldn't be sitting in this warm bar this morning, I promise you. And Jesus is saying, look, this is the way I laid it out. This is the way I laid it out. This is what I said. Everybody gets the same thing. When I read this passage and I study this passage, I think about uh, Jason and Sasha Reynolds who aren't here today. And several years ago, Jason had a family member that was dying. Never believed in Jesus his whole life. And he's like, Rusty, would you just come pray for my family member who's dying? And I went to that home. And I stood beside his family member. And I read him the story. And told him about Jesus and he believed and within two days he was gone now you tell me is that fair you're going to be the one that says that's not fair really I've lived my whole life obeying the law doing all these commandments and everything else going to church and tithing and doing all this other stuff and he gets in at the last second really really that's what this whole parable was about this is what the pharisees were saying i've obeyed the law my whole life i've done everything that i possibly can i've i've received as much wealth as i can i've i've been a good manager of it this is what's going to get me to heaven this is going to be my it's going to be my eternity and jesus is like no it's not based upon your wealth it's based upon your belief in me even if it's the last. My Jesus is fair. I don't always understand it, but my Jesus is fair. Father, I thank you for uh, today. Thank you for these last stories that we have and just about how we live our life based upon just a belief in you not based upon the things that we do not based upon the things that we collect not based upon how we've lived our life but how we trust you and we believe you and we pray these things in jesus name amen